0: Have you had any pleasant dreams lately? They, uh, they reckon that the average person has far more bad dreams than good dreams. Only one in five dreams we have leave us with a happy feeling when we wake up. Had any of those one in five dreams lately? If you have, what have they been about? Maybe you've been dreaming you've been on holidays. Maybe it's a dream about, I don't know, being able to fly, have a superpower be able to do something spectacular. Maybe it's just been a dream about uh, being adored by someone, being cared for by someone, being protected by someone. Maybe it's been a dream about feeling safe, feeling secure. Maybe it's been a dream about being reunited with someone who's precious. Maybe it's just been a dream that's had lots of laughter lots of good times, lots of friends, lots of fun. This morning I want to suggest to you that no matter how happy that one in five pleasant dream may have been, I want to suggest to you that no matter how nice or exciting the dream has been, what God has in store for you is even better. That when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God's, Plans for you, they are beyond your wildest dreams. And as evidence, let me offer Exhibit A, the passage of Jeremiah, which we've just heard read. A passage in which God gives Jeremiah a dream about just just how good stuff will be for God's people. Did you notice that final verse that was read, verse 26? At this I awoke and looked around. My dream had been pleasant to me. You see what's happening in this section? The stuff that we've just heard, heard read, it's all about things that have come to Jeremiah in a dream. And when he wakes up and looks around, in other words, when he looks around at how Israel at the time are going through a hard time, because remember, this is the time of the exile. This is a time when Babylonian have swept, Babylon has swept down, crushed Israel. And so... Jeremiah wakes up and he looks around at the mess and he looks around at the chaos and against that harshness he is struck all the more by just how pleasant the dream was that he'd been having. A dream in which the true and living God had been showing him the good things that were in store for his people in the future. Good times that turn out to be beyond our pleasant dreams. Let me show you what I mean. And the way the passage works is that it effectively has a word formula in it called this is what the Lord says, verse 2, verse 7, verse 15. Three times that little word formula is used in the passage and each time it's used it's signalling a new important step in uh, the things that God is going to do for his people. Uh, There's another Time that it's thrown in in verse 16, but we'll get with that. Effectively, that's the way the passage breaks up. Three times you get that little dot point. This is what the Lord says, and then something really good, something really important is mentioned. Step one, it's all about a fresh start. Verse two, this is what the Lord says. See, there's a little dot point. The people who survive the sword will find favour in the desert. I will come and give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, "I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've I've drawn you with loving kindness." I want you to notice two things in those couple of verses. Firstly, just notice the the affection in the words, "loving kindness," "everlasting love," and notice secondly the stress on times past. Verse three: The Lord appeared to us in the past. Verse 2, you get this mention of finding favour in the desert, having rest. This is all stuff straight out of Deuteronomy. This is all stuff straight out of Exodus, when God had swept Israel off her feet, saved them out of slavery in Egypt, in a massive display of gracious love. And you see here, it's picking up language like that. It's picking up memories like that. It's painting the picture of going back to the good old days, back to the times when God and Israel were just starting out. Back to the times when Israel were all enthusiastic for God. Back to the days when they were keen for God. And look, I know that that time didn't last all that long, but there was still that sort of honeymoon period and God is saying it's going to be like that all over again. That's why in verse 4, Israel is referred to as a virgin Israel. See, it'll be back when Israel were untouched, when they were pure, back to the times before they had hoarded around with every other god that they could lay their hands on. It'll also be back to happier times when Israel were unified, all the tribes were one. Verse 6, there will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Now, Ephraim is the name of the largest northern tribe in Israel and often Reframe is used as a sort of way of referring to all the northern tribes of Israel. And so verse 6 is saying that there will be a day when it will go back to the good old days when even the northern tribes were with us. And we'll all go to Jerusalem together. Back before the northern tribes rebelled. Back before that terrible civil war. There will come a day when there will be a fresh start. When God's people will be again one big Happy family. No surprise, it will therefore be a day of joyful gathering. Verse 7. This is what the Lord says. There, see, there's our little dot point formula again. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I'll bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame expectant mothers, women in labour. A great throng will return. Got the scene? It's a picture of all of Israel, all of God's people, returning to their beloved promised land. Even the disadvantaged, even the weak, even the unborn babies, they're all pouring back. Verse 9, they will come with weeping, that is weeping for joy. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble. Beside streams of water, level path. Almost sounds like Psalm 23, doesn't it? You know, the Lord's my shepherd, he leads me beside quiet waters, He guides my paths of righteousness. It's no accident it sounds like Psalm 23, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, proclaim it in distant coastlines. He who scattered Israel will gather gather them, will watch over his flock like a shepherd. Friends, the dream is piling on image upon image upon image of God as a loving, intimate, caring father, gathering his family, a good shepherd, Caring for his sheep. Making sure they're protected on the the way to the gathering. And so no wonder that when they gather together, it's with rejoicing and cheering and smiling and everyone's high-fiving each other and and all the more because this will signal an end to weeping. Verse 15. This is what the Lord says. There's our dot point. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. Now, what's all this about Rachel weeping? Well, in the Old Testament, Rachel was Jacob's wife and when she died, she was buried in Ramah, which is a few kilometres north of Jerusalem. And so here we have Rachel effectively crying from her grave, uh, weeping because her children Israel have been scattered away from her. They are no longer around her and she refuses to stop crying. God comforts her. Verse 16. This is what the Lord says and you get a very quick repetition of that dot point just to add emphasis to this truth. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. It's as if God Himself is putting His arm around Rachel and just comforting her. It's okay. There is hope for the future. Verse 17, your children will return. And then we enter into this conversation that develops between Ephraim, uh, again, uh, who was Rachel's grandson. You get this conversation developed between Ephraim and God as Ephraim basically says, Yeah, God, uh, please let me return. I've learnt my lesson. Verse 18. I have surely heard Ephraim's uh, moaning. You you disciplined me like an unruly calf. and I have been disciplined. Restore me and I'll return because you are the Lord my God. After I strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. And then God responds, verse 20. Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him... (laughs) I still remember him. You can't forget your kids. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. Set up road signs. Put up guideposts. That take note of the highway, the road that you take. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to your towns. How long will you wander, O unfaithful daughter? The Lord will create a new thing on earth. A woman will surround a man. You get a reference of virgin Israel again, don't we? It takes us back to those earlier verses, the, the reminder that we're going to go back to a time when God's people were unblemished, before they chased after other gods, which I think is what verse 22 is all about as well, and that really weird phrase about God creating a new thing and a woman surrounding a man. That, that's a weird phrase. Some people even reckon it's the weirdest phrase in the whole book of Jeremiah, which is a pretty big call because, let me tell you, there's some doozies in it. I'm wondering whether, they, verse 22, is simply tapping into this whole imagery that's developing of Israel being the unfaithful daughter and God the loving father who is simply yearning to have his virgin unspoilt child back. And so in verse 22, when it says a woman will surround a man, I'm, I'm thinking the woman's Israel. God's the man. And the whole thing which God will create The new thing is that Israel will surround God. There is a time coming when God's people themselves will yearn for God, will seek for God. Israel will embrace God rather than push him away. I'm thinking that's what it could mean. It's certainly what Jeremiah is going to go on to talk about in the second half of the chapter. But, hey, that's next week. And we don't want to let a tricky little phrase overshadow what is very clear. What is clear is that this is a most pleasant dream. This is a dream of days when things will be back the way they used to be before sin got in and messed stuff up between uh, God and his people. This is a dream of a restored Israel being gathered together in a giant family reunion, and God, like a good shepherd, caring for all of them. And everyone is laughing, and everyone is celebrating, and no one is crying. It's a nice dream. No wonder Jeremiah says, this I awoke and looked around and my dream had been pleasant to me. Because compared to life at the time, it was pleasant indeed. And here's the thing. Not only is the dream pleasant for Jeremiah, it turns out to be pleasant for you and I as well. Because this is a dream that has come true. And you and I get to be involved in it. See, so skip across to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2. I'd like you to notice something a little interesting that Matthew does. Matthew chapter 2. The scene in Matthew chapter 2 that I want to take us to is just after the birth of Jesus when King Herod is trying to kill Jesus. As many of you will be sure aware, Herod's plan was that. Uh, he was going to try and trick the Magi, the, the wise men, into tipping him off as to where Jesus was. But the Magi wake up to him and they shoot through. Verse 16. Chapter, Matthew two sixteen. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. When then, what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now that's interesting. That's a bit unexpected. Matthew is actually picking up this picture of Rachel crying for her lost children and he is applying it to the women of Bethlehem, Crying for their slaughtered children, and he's saying that, that what was happening there with Jesus, it's actually fulfilling what Jeremiah was all about. In other words, the dream which we've just looked at that Jeremiah had back there, it is now actually coming true. Because what Matthew wants us to see is that this little baby that's now had to be rushed off to Egypt for its own safety, he wants us to see that this little baby is going to grow up into a man who will usher in everything that Jeremiah dreamt of in chapter 31. That wonderful fresh start between God and his people, that wonderful joyful gathering of God's people and no one crying anymore, the whole lot, it's going to come true. Because of Jesus. Which is, of course, what what happens? He goes to the cross. We've sung about it this morning. To win for us a fresh start with God. So that one day you and I get to be part of a joyful gathering in the new heavens and the new earth. We get to be part of a gathering in which there will be no more weeping. For, as Revelation 21 says, God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. And it's all because of Jesus, and it's all because of what he wins for us through his death and resurrection, as in a very real sense, Jesus goes through his worst nightmare, dying alone in the dark, separated from his heavenly Father. He actually goes through his worst nightmare so that we get to take our place in Jeremiah's dream. An extraordinary dream that piles on top of one another, good thing after good thing after good thing. A dream that I think almost deliberately tries to overwhelm us with this picture of life being as good as you can possibly imagine. And all these descriptions of people singing and people celebrating and loving kindness and protection and dancing and people being filled with... It's all deliberately painting an idyllic life, a perfect life, which God is is securing for his people a life that he has secured for his people through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you're sitting here this morning and you are one of his people, I want to encourage you with that this morning. Because why is God giving this dream to Jeremiah in the first place? I mean, why does God want Jeremiah to write it down and pass it on to to Israel? I'd be thinking it so as to encourage them. So as to comfort them to just hang in there. Don't give up. Look at the second last sentence of our reading, verse 25. I will refresh the weary, satisfy the faint. That sounds like a word of encouragement to me. If you're weary, if you're faint, if you're here this morning... And you're just worn out. And you really are wondering if it's worth following Jesus. Hang on. God has planned a time when you will be refreshed. He has planned a time when you will be satisfied. Do you need to hear that this morning? Because my guess is that there are probably some of us here this morning and we come along and we like to put out the vibe that we're all in control and everything's in order. My guess is some of us are here and life may well be just about coming apart at the seams. And we don't feel protected. And we're not adored by someone. And we don't have a superpower and we can't fly. And we, and, and there's not a lot of laughter and there's not a lot of friends. And, and, and maybe... Being a Christian, on top of all of that, just makes life even more complicated. You know, There's so many pressures and so many decisions and so many worries that being a Christian almost adds one more layer of complexities that you could almost do without. Maybe you're here and you're just overwhelmed with problems, not necessarily your problems, but other people's. They, life is so hard for some people and you can feel so inadequate at knowing how to help them and you struggle to help them, but you just... You're just at a loss. Maybe you're struggling with other difficult people. You are simply sick and tired of keeping the peace. And there's continual misunderstandings and there are continual tensions and continual fights and you are fed up with turning the other cheek. Maybe life at home is just not what you'd like it to be your son, your daughter, your parents. You just don't get on the way you'd like to. Maybe, it's, maybe you get on okay, but there's an issue there because they're just not interested in Jesus the way you are. You would desperately love them to know Jesus. You can't believe that they could be so indifferent about the kingdom of God. You ache for them to be in heaven. But you're just weighed down. Maybe you're here and you're just exhausted because you are one of those people in morning church who do everything. Always there looking out for someone. Always there on a roster. Always got someone in your house showing hospitality. Always here early looking out for who's new. Making sure others are included in conversations. Minding other people's children. Cooking for people. Struggling in your commitment to get to a small group. It's all so important. And you know it's important, but, but life is so busy. There are times you just feel worn out and you wonder if it's worth it. Can you hear God speaking from Jeremiah this morning? It's worth it. He's saying, come time, I will refresh the weary. I will satisfy the faint. A day is coming, friends, when you will take your place in a new creation and you will not be disappointed. It's what the Apostle Paul talks about. I'm convinced that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And it's all in this dream. Jeremiah chapter 31. A dream which is telling us that when you are one of God's people because of Jesus' death and resurrection on your behalf, a dream that is telling us That one day life will actually be beyond your wildest dreams. You will be satisfied. Press on. I'll pray. Father, thank you for the greatness of your generosity, for the creativity of your mercy for the limitless scope of your goodness. Father, Father, thank you that you can outthink us in terms of good things. And Father, thank you for the reminder from this passage that you will refresh the weary, you will satisfy the faint, and that even though some days it just doesn't honestly feel like it, Uh, you have in store for your people a great future, a mighty hope. So, Father, help us to um, press on. Help us to help each other press on. Amen.